Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we talk Malik Monk's first career start. How badly did the offense miss Devontae Graham last night? We also discuss some of the worst lineups in Charlotte franchise history and this. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to be a pot stirrer. I just think you're a pot stirrer. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. About as ugly as it gets last night. Pretty tough to watch. Really, it was very quickly we knew that was going to be extremely tough to watch for the rest of the night. The Pacers got like a 10-point margin of or there was a 10 point deficit right from the get-go for the hornets and really the pacers never looked back tj warren continues to destroy the hornets um did so in the first half miles turner blocked everything i think he had his career high within like i don't know 30 minutes of play in this game uh maybe even maybe even fewer than that it was a bad performance all along uh miles bridges had a nice first half and malik monk had a pretty cool behind the back pass to cody zeller and that was it, Doug. Those are my positive <laughs> takeaways. You got anything else? <laughs> oh, Miles Bridges had a nice night. 7 of 16 from the field, 17 points, 6 rebounds. Yeah, he had a good half, and that was about it. Yeah, that was it. Well, I mean, when when a lot of players had zero bad or zero good halves, to have one good half is is something I would like to call a positive. But, yeah, I mean, okay. listen, you, you decide – not to start Devontae Graham, give him essentially a night off. He was active, but he he did he got the DNP along with uh, Nick Batum. Uh, the, officially, it was a DNP rest. So the Hornets are resting players, just like That's everybody great. else. Is uh, there anything more tank-worthy than Devontae Graham resting and them actually putting out some of the lineups they did last night? I mean, uh, it's as tank-worthy as it gets. Well, okay, but I, I would say that I do buy that Devontae Graham needed a break. I do buy the fact that he's in his second year, he was playing a, a, a large number of minutes, and then he participated a lot over All-Star Weekend. Uh, that's always the positive and negative of being active in the All-Star Weekend is that you you do get showcased to the rest of the league. That's fun for a team that's rebuilding. But the downside is that those players don't get a rest. And so I totally agreed with Borrego here deciding to sit Devontae Graham. But you start Monk. Monk has a bad shooting night, 4 of 13 from the field. Did not hit a single three-point shot. That's no surprise. Eight points, only three assists. Terry Rozier... A terrible night, 2 of 13 from the field, 15%, 1 of 4 from 3, 5 points. He did have 7 assists and 3 rebounds at least. But, yeah, I mean, this was – and after the game, Borrego uh, was basically upset with the effort, the urgency, whatever word you want to describe. This team was not ready to play, and uh, Ashley Shamity – uh, opens that post-game interview, at, you know, basically saying, well, you know, Indiana lost the last game, so you knew they were going to come in strong. And he responds, yeah, we lost by 29 points the last game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, but why shouldn't the Hornets have responded? Yes, you don't play Devontae Graham, who is arguably your best offensive player, but he hasn't been playing well offensively, so that shouldn't have affected you all that much. Yeah, Devontae Graham not playing. We haven't even gotten any legitimate word or official word as to exactly why he missed this, right? I mean, I could be mistaken, but I just know that they wouldn't really reveal why Devontae Graham missed this, and it's kind of oh, left up you, to interpretation. Are you 
claiming a conspiracy here? Are you trying not. to stir the pot a little bit? I mean, I would be okay if you did that. I think that's exciting. I love pot stirring. Yeah, no, I'm not trying to be a pot stirrer. I just think you're a pot stirrer. I, I wonder if Devonte Graham needed also a mental reset rather than just trying to get him physically rested because there, remember you talked about it, Doug. I mean, you mentioned how the confidence looked lacking in some of the shots that not only did he did not make, but he didn't, he passed him up. Well, he, so was trying to, was, he was trying to shoot himself out of a hole, you know, and, and you see shooters do that all the time. They try to shoot themselves out of the slump and it just wasn't working. The tires were spinning in the mud and I think he needed a night off. And I think in a year where yeah. it, it doesn't, it, it hasn't mattered having Devonte Graham on the floor. It hasn't mattered in terms of their ability to not get blown out in these uh, uh, past couple of games. So like, I think it was fine to rest him in that situation. Oh, yeah. I don't have any problem with Borrego resting him. I just wonder why we haven't gotten an official word. I don't think there's any harm in saying Devontae Graham's gotten a ton of minutes logged under his belt. So when you talk about resting some of these guys that have played a ton more, I just wonder why Borrego didn't come out and say that pregame or even postgame. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I didn't hear it. I don't think I heard the entirety of the postgame interview that Ashley Shamity had with him. So maybe he did say it. But I just think we were never given an official word as to why Devontae Graham missed the entirety of this game. They came in saying, hey, he might play, he might not. I mean, it was even an option that Devontae might log some minutes, but we know that Malik Monk was going to play. Another reason why I kind of question it a little bit is Malik Monk had been playing a lot better. Devontae Graham had been in a slump. Not only not does that mean, you know, not only does that mean Devontae needs a rest, not only does it mean maybe he needs a mental reset, but we've seen James Borrego reward players for their play in the past and sit players after a struggle in the past. And I just wonder, I'm not saying Malik Monk is going to start at point, especially after last night's performance. I'm not saying that's a trend we can expect to see. I just wonder if there was any kind of reward there for Malik as well as that coincides with Devante. To me, it, it, it's a little bit more in my mind than just, hey, Devante needs a break. Let's sit him on the bench. I think there might have been some other factors that contributed to it. That's all I'm saying. No, I think I, I, no, that's fine. You're stirring the pot. You're a pot stirrer. Um, this was interesting from At The Hive. Jonathan DeLong, a friend of ours on the podcast, DeLong Division, numbers guy, just like Sam Purley. He wrote something about the absence of Devontae Graham and the effect that has on the offense, and I found it really interesting. Here's what he writes, Doug. This may have been the first full game we've seen without Devontae Graham this season, but we do have over 1,400 total possessions to look at while he's been on the bench over the course of the year. In those possessions, the Hornets have an offensive rating of 96.8, which is nearly seven points worse than Golden State's league-worst offense, and no team has had an offensive rating that poor since the 2014-2015 Process 76ers. He also writes, when Devontae Graham is on the court, the Hornets' offensive rating jumps all the way up to 109.6. That's middling by NBA standards, but it's a massive improvement over the alternative. That's a 12.8 jump that ranks Graham in the 98th percentile among all NBA players, among guys like Carl Anthony Towns, Trey Young, Devin Booker, and Damian Lillard. Interesting stuff there from Jonathan DeLong. Now, I think there are obviously some caveats like, okay, well, if it's not Devontae Graham, then... You know, how many possessions have we seen Devontae out and Terry Rozier in or Malik Monk running the point? I also think that you're not dealing with nearly as much talent 
when a guy like Devontae Graham goes to the bench. So I think there are some caveats there, but overall it goes to show you that Devontae has a huge impact on this team's offensive rating. No, he's worked really well in the pick and roll with Cody Zeller. He set up PJ Washington for a lot of three point shots and interior buckets. Uh, He makes this offense go and he's one of the few players on this team that actually draws defensive attention and you you'll hear coaches say it over and over that's what the nba is all about it's about having players on the floor that that move the defense that the defense has to give a second look to and maybe make one step in their direction that allows something else to happen on the opposite side of the floor uh he's he's moved the ball well this year at times he shot the ball well this year he's a consistent three-point uh shooter and he can help get the break going Uh, i mean that's to me and we could talk about this in the next segment but i mean this team is not playing in a way that Borrego wants them to play offensively and in the only way I've said this from the very beginning of the season the only way that they're going to be a competent offensive team is if they play a certain way and they're not playing that certain way right now and I'll reveal yeah. that certain way <laughs> next <laughs> I, was gonna, I, did, well, I wasn't ready yet I still wanted to make one more point I wanted to make one more point about Devonte Graham, you can make a, a, stir as many pots as you want to. I'm just, I'm I just teasing what I'm going to talk about in the next segment. So tasty, yeah. And and all of that, you discussed that Devonte is a consistent three point shooter, and we've discussed how the defenses have to pay attention. That's something Jonathan DeLong mentions in his article at the Hive. He talks about how hey, Devonte has been struggling, but he's still a threat from deep. And I just wonder how much defenses are going to be so adamant about chasing him off the three-point line if we only have the 27-game sample of him shooting well from deep, because that's all we have. And I wonder if that starts to change. Is it because the defense has adhered to some of the things that Devonte Graham can do offensively because of the way he can shoot, or are we just getting that small sample size? And eventually they're going to start to slack off a little bit, go under the screens rather than chase them off of them. That's the development I want to see. I want to see if defenses start to not be nearly as scared of them as they were when he was shooting 43% or if it is exactly because defenses are adapting to Devontae's offensive ability. Is it because of that that he's shooting so poorly in the last 30 games or so? The Lockdown Hornets podcast. Go ahead, Doug. You have another point? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. You teased it. You're done. You're done. You're you're right. What what you did, you can talk whatever you want to talk about, but only in the second segment. This is Locked on Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to be back. Great to be back on the show. (laughs) It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I stopped you from talking because it was time to go to break. We ran out of time, but you did want to get off something that we were talking about in that last segment, Doug. Now's the time to do so. So here's the deal. If the Charlotte Hornets are going to run anything resembling a competent offense, an offense that can help them not necessarily win basketball games, but build something build confidence for the players that are that are involved in these games and not get blown out by 39, 45, whatever. Um, th- this is what they have to do. They have to play with pace because this is not going to be a good half-court team. But when they do get in the half-court, they have to move the basketball because they don't have a lot of shot makers on this team that can go out and get their own shot. I mean, they have to move the ball to score. 
we've heard Borrego talk about this, Walker, have we not? I mean, we've heard him mention that they've got to get out and run to score and that they have to move the basketball, right? Well, yeah, they're one of the best teams in the NBA in moving the basketball, especially given the talent that they have. I mean, that's what they do. That's the only way they score, really. I mean, I'm sure there are some pick and roll situations with Devontae, like you mentioned. But yeah, they've done a really good job at moving the basketball this season. Until lately, over the last 10 games, they ranked 26th in the NBA in assist percentage. And over the last 10 games, they are 29th in pace. And over the past, over the season, they've been a very slow team. But when you're a slow team, and you're, that means you're not getting enough points in transition. If you're a slow team and you're not moving the basketball, that means you're probably not getting enough points in the half court. And on top of all of that, you've got a couple of guards in Monk, Rozier, and Devontae Graham that are not necessarily consistent shooters or scorers. And that's a recipe for offensive disaster, and that's where the Hornets find themselves right now. Because it, it's not as if you have to play with pace to be a successful NBA offense or a successful NBA team. You look at the Denver Nuggets. They're, they're ranked right now 27th in pace. The Orlando Magic ranked 28th in pace. The Oklahoma City Thunder and Brooklyn Nets, 25th and 26th. Teams are finding ways to play slow and still be successful, but you have to have shot makers. The Denver Nuggets are 58.7% effective field goal percentage. You have to not turn the basketball over. Orlando almost leads the league, I think. No, San Antonio Spurs over the past 10 games have been better. But over the past 10 games, Orlando, 11.8 turnover percentage. They don't turn the basketball over. You have to play good defense. The Hornets don't do that. They don't. What I'm saying is. What are you saying, Doug? They don't do any of the things that would allow them not to give maximum effort and get out into transition and run, and they're just not doing it. I was watching Pelicans-Lakers last night, and they cut to the sideline, and the Pelicans coach was saying, you have to run every possession. We are a running team. And they did. They lost the game, but they did. They followed the coach's instructions, and they ran every single possession that they could. They got into transition and got buckets for Zion and got buckets for Ingram, and they did something that helped them be successful. Right now, this team is not doing the thing that Borrego wants them to do, and that's troubling. That's my, is that that's, tank? That's my take. That's what it is? <laughs> that was excellent. I, I think it was a good take. Um. Have you ever seen a more tank-worthy lineup than the one we saw last night, Doug, with Joe Cheely having one NBA bucket to his name against the Celtics a while back? Oh, I could dig up some Bobcats lineups with Lord Byron Mullins. Do do we have do we have that ability? I mean, even putting Byron Mullins in the lineup itself is he instantly the best player in the lineup that we saw last night? If you substitute Bismack Biombo for Byron Mullins, is Byron Mullins instantly the best player in that lineup? Oh, I think so, but I'm biased towards Byron. I can look up some lineup stats. That should be fairly easy to do. From the, I mean, it might not be easy for the ears. It might not be easy for my eyes, but I could look up some lineup stats from the the worst year. Yeah. I mean, really, in professional basketball, just judging by percentages. Um, I wonder if we can – do you think there's anything that competes with the expansion roster? I mean, at least you had a Mecca getting minutes there, so – I think I you got to go back to that tank, the the true tank year to yeah. find the some of the worst lineups that we've ever seen on a basketball floor. We saw Joe Cheely, the Martin Twins, Jalen McDaniels, and Bismack Biombo on on the floor last night. Like in the third quarter, by the way, this wasn't just garbage time in the fourth. This was even though it was garbage time in the third, the game was out of reach. It certainly didn't help anything by putting those guys 
onto the court. I want to dig deeper into some of those lineups that could have been worse than the lineups that we saw against the Pacers last night. We continue to do that to really come to what, what is an awful segment. Like I can't imagine a more awful segment to end any show. Beautifully, on. beautifully awful. I mean, it's the only way. Listen, if somebody's tuning in right now, we got to give them something special. And I guarantee you folks, <laughs> this next segment is going to be special. Stay tuned for Byron Mullins next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. And would, you, would, would I have liked to see a few more shards? Shards? No, I would not have. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. All right, Walker, I have it. The 2011-2012 Charlotte Bobcats lineups right in front of me. Are you ready for this? Oh, I can. I, God, should I'm I just so throw crazy. a couple of out? Should I just throw a couple out there? You should throw up a couple, yes. This is only going to be in the form of throwing up. All right, I imagine. 99 possessions, DJ Augustine, Gerald Henderson, Corey Maggette, DJ White, and Bismack Biombo were a negative 40-point differential, and these are all according uh, to cleaning the glass. Their points per possession were <laughs> 78.8 points per 100 possessions. That one's still better by leaps and bounds, what we saw last night, though. I mean, you almost go position for position that lineup that you just mentioned over the one we saw last night. All right, how, about, how about this one? Kimba Walker, and this is 2011-2012 Kimba Walker. Yeah, so I, before, I get you. Before get you. he could shoot. Matt Carroll, Derek Brown, Bismack Biombo, and then Byron Mullins at the, yeah. I guess Biz was the center technically and Byron was the power forward. 57 yeah. minutes minus 40.8. We go down DJ Augustine, Gerald Henderson, Derek Brown, DJ White, and Byron Mullins minus 47.8 over 43 possessions. And that was mostly because they could not stop anyone. Yeah. I'm not taking this lineup over any of those that you just mentioned though, even trying to think in the frame of young DJ Augustine, young Kimba Walker, young Bismack Biombo. Byron Mullins, period, DJ White, period. I mean, DJ White and Derek Brown, those are the guys that are competing with how bad that lineup was last night. I'm still taking all those lineups that you mentioned. I'm trying to get weirder here. How about this one? 17 possessions, negative, a negative 14.1 point differential. You've right. got Kimba Walker, Gerald Henderson, Reggie Williams, Eduardo oh, yeah. Nahara, Bismack oh, Biombo. Is, is it getting weirder? <sighs> Maybe a little. Okay, no, I've got it. I've got the lineup. Are you ready? I, I was going to say because I, I don't want any names. I don't want any good names that we've heard. Like last night showcased Bismack Biombo as the biggest name you may have ever heard. Maybe Cody Martin is something, but all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I think I, I, think I found it. For 17 possessions in, in the year of our Lord, 2011-2012, the Charlotte Bobcats rolled out Corey Higgins, Matt yes. Carroll, Eduardo Nahara, Derek Brown, and Bismack Biombo. Oh, now, yeah, baby. That's, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. You know what's funny? I thought about the lineups that we could stumble upon last night. If, if this was something we were going to do on the podcast today, I knew Corey Higgins was going to be a part of any lineup that would beat the one we saw against the Pacers. Effective Corey field goal had- percentage of 37.5%. Not <laughs> oh, yes. Very good. Just- 17 possessions is what we saw from them. 17 possessions. Now, I haven't haven't given you any lineups over 100 possessions. I mean, there are one, two, three, 
lineups that year with uh, over 100 possessions that involved Reggie Williams and Derek Brown, DJ White, Byron Mullins. I mean, that is where the Bobcats were. And I think, you know, when we look back, if this second half of the season continues to trend where it's trending, we may we may look back and say, okay, yeah, there was Kimball Walker before he was Kimball Walker. There there was PJ Washington before he was PJ Washington, but then he was surrounded by, you know, Martin twins. As hard as they're playing, you know, we don't know if they're going to uh, be able to ascend any higher. You, we know what we know what Bismack Biombo is. We know what Cody Zeller is. Uh, you know, I don't know if these players are going to really get any better. They're they're sort of stuck in their time capsule of who they are as players. Yeah, and we know like that McDaniel's, right. <laughs> McDaniel's having played almost all of this year in the G League. Joe Cheely really having played all of this year in the G League. Same with Caleb Martin. I, I can't imagine there's ever a lineup that beats the one that we saw in that game against the Indiana Pacers. So much to the point or I can't stop talking about it. Thank you for listening. And I truly mean that more than any other time that I've thanked you guys for listening. Thank you, seriously, for listening to this specific episode. And remember, you can subscribe to more awful episodes to this show on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Walker Mail, at Doug Branson, LOH. And our show handle is on Twitter, at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow. <laughs>